One of the um, one of the plans for these sabbatical weeks was to do a great deal of reading and considering of two or three significant questions and I confess I'm struggling a little bit this morning because I feel like a reservoir hooked to a fire hose and I really don't want to open the fire hose on you. I think that would be counterproductive and so I've been trying to um, figure a way to throttle it down this week to just the garden hose. Okay, if, if you understand what I'm saying. And I don't, I don't particularly know how well I'm doing that today. Because part of the sabbatical stuff is looking at big picture things. And, and I don't know, for those of you who are roughly my age or so, you understand the, the phenomenon of getting to a place in life where you can't remember everything you knew anymore, right? And you don't even always, oh, nice. I'm getting props from my kids back here. It's delightful to see them. Um, I don't always even remember why I reached the conclusions I reached. Okay, I remember the conclusions, but I don't always remember the process I went through. And as times change and things change and arguments change and society changes, you sort of have to reinvestigate how you got to where you are because you don't remember as well. I had the experience just a few months before the sabbatical of I'm cleaning out papers at the house, you know, because you collect stuff and, and you just can't collect forever. And I I've been a collector of stuff like this all my life. And I pulled out, believe it or not, a term paper I had written in college. I know that I wrote it. My name was on it. I saw the class. I affirm I had taken that class. But I had no recollection of ever having written that paper. And I thought, how does that happen? I mean, how do you get to the place where you don't remember exactly how you got to where you are today? And so part of what I want to do today is reestablish a platform for how we live in the kingdom of God. And so I'm going back to real basic stuff. Some of you will say, of course, we all, we all knew that already. But I think you have to reinforce this foundational platform in order to build from it. So, so I have about eight or 10 weeks of stuff I want to talk about but this is a platform kind of beginning. I read it in Acts 10 and 9, chapter 10, verse 9, uh, again this week, the story of Peter's vision. Do you remember the story? This is what it says in Acts 10, 9. About noon the following day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray He became hungry, wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So here we have this vision, and I'm not going to take time to expand the whole story here, but 
if you have an experience like this, we in the church, we have a test that we usually apply to situations like this. When we get into a position where something we're feeling or trying to work our way through doesn't make any sense, we Christians have a test that we apply. This is what you and I say. This is what we do, what we've been trained to say. If we think that we're hearing God say something that doesn't stack up with scripture, then we ought to believe that we're mishearing the message because scripture always confirms the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe, right? Except for when it doesn't. And that's the whole problem with this passage, right? That's the whole problem. Because poor Peter, the scripture that he had on this day, there was nothing in it to confirm his experience. And so he's left in this really unstable position of not being able to understand what he's convinced is the voice of God with everything he's known of scripture. For Peter, the law was clear, and his response to the vision is clear. Lord, I've never eaten any impure thing in my entire life. And then God says something different. How do you respond to that kind of dissonance? You understand what dissonance is. Dissonance is when things clash and they don't exactly make sense in terms of what you experience. In this particular instance, the reason for the dissonance, the reason for the clash is the fact, and the reason Acts tells us this story, is because there is a new covenant in place. And Jesus, in this vision, is articulating to Peter the ethics of a brand new covenant. And we remember from scripture that Jesus told us, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so the arbitrator of this new covenant, the one who makes the rules in the new covenant, is Jesus. Jesus is the authority. And so there's a new covenant in place, and now that Jesus has come, the whole system of relating to God has changed. You know, the first signal that there was a new covenant in town perhaps was when Jesus was dying on the cross. Luke 23, 24 reminds us, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The author of Hebrews in the ninth chapter explains that Jesus is our high priest in a brand new way. The very fact that a curtain existed in the temple at all was a symbol, the Hebrew author tells us, that humanity did not have immediate access to God. The temple veil was the symbol of the barrier that existed between God and man. And when the barrier is removed, we should understand that there is a whole new system 
in place. We have now been invited into the throne room of God. We can relate to God in a brand new way. We're told in Hebrews 7 that Jesus has become the guarantor, the guarantor of a better covenant, that there is a new covenant in place. We're told in Hebrews 6 that Jesus is an anchor for our souls, and that anchor is tethered inside the holy of holies, into the presence of God himself. This is a brand new covenant. When Jesus dies, the new covenant is established, the veil is torn, and a new, a completely new covenant is established. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what's the nature of the new covenant? What is Jesus' message? You know what Jesus' message was. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has arrived. Enter the kingdom of God. The new covenant is the offer to enter and live in the kingdom of God now, today, already. You don't have to wait till you die to enter the kingdom of God. You may enter today, now. How is this different than the old covenant? The old covenant was national, racial, based on defining Israel as the people of God, guided by the law and the prophets. There was a sacrificial system in place. The Holy Spirit was not universally given. But the new covenant is life in the kingdom of God now, identified by the living presence of God in the life of the believer, a believer who lives as a citizen of the kingdom of God, a citizen of the kingdom to which he's pledged allegiance. I will grant you the kingdom of God is a difficult concept for Americans to grasp. We don't understand the term kingdom. All we know of monarchy is the constitutional monarchy of England. And when we hear the word kingdom, we think about a geopolitical division, a set tract of land, uh, a nation over which a monarch exercises jurisdiction. We think of the kingdom of England or some other kingdom. But the kingdom in the Christian sense is never about land. It's not about territory. It's not defined by political boundaries or property lines. The kingdom of God exists wherever people submit to the authority of Jesus and exercise obedience to him. If you live as if Jesus is Lord, which in fact he is, then that is where the kingdom resides. It's not territory. It's not land or buildings. In fact, we can't build it and we can't expand it. Did you know that? We can't build the kingdom. We can't expand the kingdom. Only Jesus can do that. What we're tasked to do, first of all, is to announce the kingdom. And the second thing we're tasked to do is to demonstrate the life of the kingdom. Those are the two things we're asked to do. 
And my sense is that we demonstrate the kingdom by living under the sovereignty of Jesus, which we're able to do because of the Holy Spirit living in us. And we announce the kingdom when anyone asks us why we live the way we do. I don't know if you know, if you understand what dissonance is. You know, I'm always gonna speak primarily as a musician. And, and dissonance is, a, is an attention-seeking device that composers use. It, it doesn't quite fit with what's happened before. It draws attention, and if done well for the most part, leads to a resolution. I've been racking my brain all week of how I could demonstrate this on the piano, and I've decided I don't play the piano well enough to do that. But I'll give you a sample idea. If you've ever done any hymn singing, and you get to the end of, this, of the hymn, and everyone sings the amen, you know what an amen? I can do that much. I can give you amen. Right, you've heard that? It's a four chord, it goes to a one chord. The four, the four chord, it begs to go to the one chord. If you end the song in the four chord, everybody in the room is like, oh man, are we gonna end this? Or are we gonna stay with this unfinished thing? Dissonance just ratchets all that up another step. And you're, and you're waiting for it to end. And sometimes dissonance is unpleasant, but really, it's the creation of energy that moves things forward to the release where things make sense, okay? We are designed as people who live in the kingdom to live at dissonance with our culture. And the dissonance is when people look at our lives and say, you better get even. If you let that person take advantage of you, if, if you forgive them, they're getting away with something. And as a citizen of the kingdom, you know that you have the ability to forgive because of the grace of God. And when you don't seek revenge, that creates dissonance. When you don't respond in ways that are angry, people wonder why. I was in the grocery store this week. A little lady in front of me had a new debit card and she could not figure that out. She had this tiny little order of groceries. There was just frustration. She was riding the disabilities bus. She had to get out there. She was tense, she was nervous. But as tense and as nervous as she was, the lady behind me in line was being forced to wait a few extra minutes. And she was verbally and loudly and obnoxiously angry at this poor lady who was taking up her precious time. And so I was in between these two ladies thinking, you know, this is interesting. And so I, I got past the little lady and I bagged her groceries for her to help her down the road. And then we realized she had no way to pay for those groceries, and it was just a little bit. I said, you know what, I'll happily buy those groceries for her. 
paid for her groceries, paid for my groceries. As I was leaving, I looked back and saw that the, the young cashier, who was obviously new, was weeping. And I said, are you okay? She said, that was such a nice thing that you did. I said, it was nothing. Any good Christian would have done the same and walked. But to that cashier, there was a dissonance involved, wasn't there? It wasn't what she expected. It wasn't what she had experienced. And for Christians, that's the nature of our lives. We live at dissonance with the culture around us. And as we faithfully do that by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then we have the opportunity when someone says, why, to announce the kingdom of God. To say, Jesus has made a difference. The new covenant is, first of all, all about Jesus and living in response to his leadership. A moral code of living is never enough. It's never adequate. If just having a moral code that helped us identify as people who do good were enough, we would all still be Jews. But we are not. The covenant to Abraham and Moses and David, they are insufficient. We are not completed Jews. We are Christians under the authority of Jesus Christ. It's a whole new covenant. Sometimes I thought in my mind that Christianity is like the building built on the foundation of Judaism. And as I've been reading this summer, I'm realizing that's, that's really not true. Christianity is like a whole new building, like my house, built on the same property where there's an old barn. Because the foundation of this building is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. Everything rises and falls on our relationship with Jesus. Our obedience is to him. And there is no adequate moral code there is no previous covenant that is sufficient on which to build our lives. Only the foundation of Jesus Christ. So the question is, how do you live properly and appropriately within the kingdom of God? The Holy Spirit wasn't given to us to help us keep the law. That's not why we got the Holy Spirit. Yes, Scripture tells us that if we obey Jesus, we will end up keeping the law in every way that matters. But the law is not the focus anymore. Jesus is the centerpiece of the new covenant. Jesus is the king. We are his subjects. We live as citizens of this kingdom. And, and this raises the all-important question that I've been wrestling with for the past two months. What's the nature of kingdom life? How far from center am I living? I've lived a few miles away from the center of civilization a few times in my life. In Windsor, New Hampshire, uh, when we were up in near the camp area, 
that little town did not have building codes. They actually brought to the town selectmen the resolution to adopt the state building codes and the sound selectmen voted the resolution down. So there were no building codes. That's, that's far from the center of civilization. You say, boy, it'd be nice to have that freedom. Well, it would be nice to have that freedom until your building falls down, right? Um, some of us like to live far from the center of things, feeling that there's a greater freedom in that. My sons were born in Lafargeville, New York, um, and it's far from anything, and the winters are years long, and when you live that far from the center of things, I mean, it's New York State, but Albany is a long distance away. No one really knows what you're doing, and you sort of feel like, well, you can just do whatever you want, and and I think some of us live in the kingdom of God like that. We figure if we stay as far away from the center of things, then we can choose to sort of live any way we want to, and it won't really matter because no one's really paying attention anyway, and we're just free to live our own lives. We think that by distancing ourselves from the king that we get greater freedom to be ourselves that way. We don't think the king sees us maybe or we stop paying attention to his leadership and, and our lives don't create any dissonance because we're trying to look like everybody else around us and we never get the memos that come from the main office and our lives reflect a lack of grace and direction that ought to come from being directly connected to the center of things. I mean, you do remember that Jesus said, stay connected to the vine? I mean, you remember the words of Jesus to stay connected to him? Over the next several weeks, I want to talk about what it means to live in the kingdom of God and perhaps what the greatest threats to living centered in the kingdom of God might be. And it's important to me that we both announce the kingdom and demonstrate that we live in the kingdom the announcement of the kingdom, that's your story. Hopefully you've done your homework, you've written the story out, you're prepared to announce the kingdom at any time that you're asked. The demonstration part, that's the testimony of your life. But in the meantime, I would ask you just to contemplate this question. Is my life different from my neighbors because I answer to King Jesus. Not because you're just an oddball. Not because you just choose to be curmudgeonly or cantankerous or not because you expect everything to be perfect on the lawns around yours. Is your, is your life different from your neighbors because of your obedience to King Jesus? Jesus, and if so, how? I mean, do you really mean it when you say, your kingdom be done on earth through me as it is in heaven? Are you really anxious for God to accomplish his will through you, or would you just rather live out there on the edge of the kingdom somewhere where it's harder for the message to get through? Peter discovered in Acts 10 that God was doing a new thing. 
that the Gentiles were included in the covenant. And people who had not been included before were now included. And if he had not responded to, in obedience to King Jesus, the Gentiles don't get in, which would be directly opposite to the mission of God. We're, we're citizens of that kingdom. And we need to demonstrate the, this, our citizenship, announce our citizenship. Peter himself writes later, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This morning we're going to receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper is the symbolic demonstration of the love of Christ for us. In Philippians, we're told that Jesus left his royal throne, humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, and submitted himself even to death, death on a cross. We're told that God gave us his son because he loved us. In this holy moment, we remember that Jesus loved us enough to die for us. In some ways, I guess, I would encourage you to think only of that. Communion has lots of depth and richness to the symbolism, but perhaps the central thing is that someone loved you enough to die for you, and he wants you to receive him into yourself. You have an opportunity to receive Jesus into you today as we receive communion together. So I would invite anyone who has determined that they want to live as citizens of the kingdom of God to participate uh, in this sacrament today. I'm gonna invite those who will assist me in the serving to come at this time and we'll prepare ourselves uh, for this sacred meal together. It is right and good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, for the goodness and love which you have made known to us in creation, in the calling of Israel to be your people, in your words spoken through the prophets, and above all, in the word made flesh, Jesus, your Son. You sent him to be incarnate from the Virgin Mary, to be the Savior and Redeemer of the world. In him you have delivered us from evil and made us worthy to stand before you. In him, you have brought us out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life. Therefore, we rejoice together with all of creation in this song of praise. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee holy 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 merciful and mighty god in three persons 
blessed Trinity. On the night before he died for us, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this juice, we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by Christ's blood. May your spirit sanctify us that we might be one, united in mission, and committed to loving God and neighbor with all that we are. Amen. Would you stand and come? The table is ready. Yeah. 
This is the body of Christ given for you. Eat with rejoicing. This is the cup of the new covenant sealed in Jesus' blood for the forgiveness of our sins and for the sins of the whole world. Drink in thanksgiving, knowing that Christ died because he loves you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your lavish gifts on our behalf. Help us to live as loyal subjects in your kingdom that we may honor you with our lives. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. May you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, know the joy that comes from living in obedience to a king who loved you enough to die for you. To him be glory now and forever. Amen.